Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NABTRADE's Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Last year, COVID presented investors with an extraordinary array of investment opportunities, and those who were bold or crazy or smart enough to buy the collapse have just done unbelievably well. The reopening trade has proven a really lucrative one for many NAB trade clients. Qantas, Webjet and Flight Centre were all in our top 10 COVID buys. And it's important to note, like, they would never be in our top 10 in any other period. So this was, it was a really significant shift in behaviour. It recognised what was going on. But COVID's not over, right? So shocking infection rates out of India, recent lockdown in Perth, there's a lot still going on with COVID. And what investors are asking us is whether the reopening trade is over, whether everything's priced back in and we're back to normal, or do we have to start being a little bit more cautious because perhaps there's more of this to come? Today, I'm joined by Dan Moore, Portfolio Manager with Investors Mutual, to talk about the outlook for travel, the outlook for retail and more. Dan, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Gemma. It's great to be back. So, Dan, many of our listeners would remember that you were the guest in late February last year, which I think is pretty much our like most popular podcast ever uh, called, is it the beginning of the end or, you know, is this it, right? Is it the end of the bull market? And the market absolutely collapsed almost immediately after we spoke. It was a very, very popular recording. People had a lot to learn about what was happening around the world with COVID, but it's, it's a little bit more than 12 months on. Lots changed. Can you talk to us about what you've been observing, the more obvious sectors that were affected by COVID, how they've been affected by reopening, whether we're in a reopening? What are you seeing at the moment? Yeah, look, thanks, Gemma. There's a lot of different sectors, I guess, that benefit from a reopening trade. And and a lot of those sectors or stocks within those sectors have had really big bounces. Um, But the underlying business performance of those sectors is, in many cases, uh, we haven't seen that recovery yet. Some we have, some we haven't. So, look, I think probably the best thing to do is just run through a few of them. Um, So travel, hospitality, uh, share prices have done phenomenally well. Um, A lot of them are back uh, pretty close to their pre-COVID highs, um, particularly if you're related um, to domestic travel um, in particular. I'd say, um, so Qantas, um, has had a very good recovery, uh, and particularly when you factor in that they've raised quite a lot of equity, so they've diluted the share count, um, so their, their market cap's very close to pre-COVID levels. Corporate travel's another travel stock that's back to pre-COVID levels, um, but in the case of both of those companies, um, their earnings haven't really come through yet. In the case of corporate travel, they only updated a week ago, I think, uh, and they said we're back to break even. Um, so still not making money yet. Um, but there's a lot of, I guess, good news factored into that share price. Uh, hospitality, if we look at hotels, uh, particularly in the leisure side, domestically, they're booming. Um, profits are doing incredibly well because Australia is a exporter of tourism. Despite being a big tourist destination internationally, um, Aussies love to travel, um, and so actually being sort of caught domestically, not being able to go overseas has meant domestic leisure travel has boomed. Um, so there's some hotel operators that have done quite well. Um, and if you look at probably probably one of the listed ones in Australia is event hospitality. Um, they do a number of things, but um, 
you know, their share prices back to pre-COVID levels, um, despite being you know, very ugly at one stage. Uh, look, other sectors, that, the other big ones, sort of shopping centres and office, uh, they've, you know, they were hammered um, in the sell-off and they've bounced, you know, off the lows, but they're still quite a bit below their pre-COVID levels. They're, you know, maybe 20, 30% below pre-COVID levels. To us, that makes a bit of sense. Um, there's definitely some structural issues um, with office rents are down anywhere between sort of 10, 20%. You know, if you look at current leasing deals, when you factor in incentives um, and, and there's definitely some structural issues around work from home. And, and also there was a lot of committed supply of office pre-COVID that's going to hit the market over the next one to two years. So that makes sense to us. Shopping centres have been impacted by online travel, uh, online um, retail, uh, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, so again, that probably makes sense. And, and then the other sort of big one is the banks, which I know many retail uh, investors bought heavily um, during the COVID sell-off, and, and that's been a great trade. And they're back to pre-COVID levels in general, which if you look at, I guess, the outlook for bad debts, you know, that, that, you know that's understandable. Um, and, and the outlook for credit growth improved. Um, we're, we're probably a little bit cautious from here, I would say. Um, but the, the moves, you know, are understandable. So I hadn't planned to ask you about banks, but it's a really, really good one to raise because they are incredibly popular with retail investors. Mm. And for a lot of our investors who need yield, they have been the, uh, the sort of sector of choice. I mean, bank share prices, they're back to pre-COVID levels, mm. but with the exception of CBA, they are down dramatically over five years. Mm. Right? So at one point, I was looking at it and I can't remember my exact numbers, it was down about 45% over five years, which is pretty shocking when you contemplate it. And you're still fairly cautious about it despite that. So if mm. you look at the five-year rather than the 12-month numbers, mm. they're, they're looking pretty rough. Yeah, I, I think they're, they're a bit better than that. Um, but you've got to factor in the – they're probably, I don't know, maybe down 20 or 30 depending on the company – um, you, again, you've got to factor, factor in that share issuance. Yeah. And this is, I, I think, um, you know, a bit of a trick um, for, for, for new, new players, I guess, is just looking at share prices can be a little bit misleading. Um, if a company has had to do equity issuers um, over the course of that time, they've diluted the value of those shares. Um, if you look at Qantas, for example, um, their share price is not far off their pre-COVID levels, but during COVID, they issued 20% more shares. So for the company to be valued in line with where it was pre-COVID, you'd expect the share price to be 20% lower. Mm. And it, it's a similar story with the banks. A lot of them, except for CBA, and that's probably why CBA has been the best performing bank for a very long time, is they've had the least amount of equity issuance mainly through crises, um, whereas the other banks tend to run their business probably a little bit more aggressively and when th they get in trouble, uh, they raise equity. And unfortunately, it tends to be at a low price, which makes it extra dilutive. So when you factor in that dilution, even though they're down on a five-year basis, um, they don't look screaming good value to us now. Um, and also... The sort of the market's pricing in a very low bad debt environment, um, which we're seeing, uh, given the huge run up in asset prices and people 
leveraging into to property markets today um, gets us a little bit nervous um, about what you know the, the longer term future is. Um, so um, we we still own some banks in the portfolio, but you know we wouldn't be um, buying lots up here. Put it that way. Yeah, rushing out to grab more. That's it right. Doesn't, that's it doesn't right. feel so great. So one thing that's worth pointing out, uh, and we certainly get this feedback from retail investors all the time, is that the when capital raisings are, are happening, and obviously they were happening in crisis period last year, sort of April, May, everyone's suddenly gone to the market going, we need some capital to, uh, to shore up our balance sheet and make sure if this goes on for a really long time that we're going to be okay. Retail investors are not doing as well out of that as they used to. Our guys used to absolutely love taking advantage of all the placements and any opportunities to buy at that price, and they've missed out on a lot of them, so they haven't quite been able to take advantage. And then they've been diluted subsequently of mm. their existing holders, so that's been a bit of a rough period for a lot of our guys yeah it's i know i know um there, there's a lot of uh, these shareholder associations um making a big fuss about it and i i you know to be honest i'm on the other side of that as an institutional <laughs> investor you know we, we've been given preferential treatment in a lot of these cases and and uh, to be honest i i side with the retail people i think um they're getting a raw end of the deal um, and, and the justification for it is the institutional investors can move quickly. Um, they need the capital quickly. Um, they can make a few phone calls to large fund managers and, and get a deal done uh, and shore up the balance sheet. Uh, with retail, it, it takes a bit longer. But look, there's plenty of companies that have done it um, yeah, where they, you know, retail have got their fair share of these raisings, and I think that's definitely the right model. Um, the, the good thing is re- retail's getting more and more of a voice through these sh- shareholder associations, which I think is a great thing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, um, the, the, the boards of these companies uh, are there to represent shareholders and they're there to represent all shareholders, um, not just large institutions. So um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I hope it improves in the future, put it that way. It's worth noting, though, you guys do represent small retail shareholders. We do. Right? We do. We <laughs> Not do. individual shareholders, but, you know, unit holders, we call them. Correct. Uh, through super funds or directly through you guys. Are you, you are working on behalf of the little guy, yeah. but they don't get to participate individually, which sometimes feels a bit better, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice to know that you individually benefited from it and it's a little bit less exciting to see your unit price move by a couple of cents. It's yeah. a bit harder to, uh, to get excited about. Talking about a couple of the other sectors and particularly ones that our investors are really interested in, one is healthcare. Mm. You know, Australia's got some incredibly high quality healthcare companies and ones that were not particularly uh, likely to benefit from COVID, you know, your Moderna's and your... Uh, your AstraZeneca's, although mm. we'll put them to one side at the moment. Uh, your Pfizer's certainly did very well out of it. But CSL was absolutely smashed to pieces as recently as a couple of months ago, mm. you know, the pre-COVID highs were around $350, was down below $250, which really hurt. A fairly small group of our investors, we don't have a very wide holding in CSL given given how much it dominates the Australian landscape and the Australian market. Uh, Sonic and Cochlear also, like, they, they couldn't do their core work and when everyone's busy focusing on COVID, uh, suddenly your, uh, your healthcare business is not looking so good. CSL, you know, couldn't collect blood samples for quite a while there. Is business picking up for those guys? Are they struggling to get back to normal volumes? Obviously, they're not just domestically based. What are you seeing there? Look, it, it's really different for each company. 
Um, that so CSL, funnily enough, um, their recent results were fantastic. Um, their profits were up in the first half, forty four percent. The issue is coming, unfortunately, for them. Um, where, as, as you rightfully said, the biggest issue is collecting plasma. Um, they sell plasma products, um, and they collect that plasma predominantly in the U.S. And the collections are down quite a bit. Um, they're down somewhere around 20%, 30%, and have been for a little while now, uh, almost you know, getting close to a year. Um, why you haven't seen it yet in regards to profits and sales is it takes about nine months um, to collect the plasma, to process that pr- plasma, um, and then to create that finished product and sell that finished product. So they've had this sort of nine-month lag of inventory um, in the system which they've been selling so that the results have been pretty good. Um, but next year or next financial year, so pretty soon, in a couple of months, I think that year is going to be really tough for the company um, because you know, the plasma they collected is down 20, 30%. Um, and that's why the shares, the share, the share price is anticipating that tough year that's coming. Um, it is a, it is a temporary thing. Um, you know, uh, plasma collections will return eventually. Um, but at the moment it's still a big problem and and the problem is twofold. It's one is in regards to COVID people, uh, I guess, going, uh, less mobility around it, being a little bit fearful of going to a collection centre. But that's actually not the key issue. Um, the, the key issue is stimulus, which is, which is quite interesting. And why it is, is most people who donate plasma um, tend to be lower income people and they, they get a donation for giving that plasma and that supplements their income. Um, with all the stimulus payments in the US, which have been significant, um, there's less need um, to go to the local plasma collection centre um, to earn some extra money. So we've seen a big decline, even recently. In, in I think uh, the federal government uh, in the US paid out some big stimulus in March and April, and April apparently is a disaster because <laughs> everyone's just got $1,000. Um, so, look, again, once that stimulus money is spent, people will go back, but it's pretty tough even today despite – COVID infection rates dropping dramatically in the US. That's really fascinating. I'd not heard that side of the story. I'd certainly heard the uh, CSLs made it really clear. It's actually quite quite important to engage your donator base, Mm. donor base, that's the word I'm looking for, Uh, and, you know, and keep them engaged and coming back and so on. There's obviously some ethical issues around paying people at the lower end of the income spectrum to donate blood. You would hope they're not doing it too frequently and there are adverse health outcomes, all of these different issues they're looking at. But the idea that you're getting stimulus checks and therefore you don't need to anymore yeah. is um, a fascinating one. That's yeah. fascinating. It, it is. And, and and just to go through the other ones, mm-hmm. um, Sonic's actually been a huge winner, which was a little bit um, counterintuitive right at the beginning because right at the beginning of COVID, uh, pathology volumes collapsed. Um, people stopped getting their regular blood tests um, or if you were going to get your sort of annual skin cancer check, you sort of put it off. Um, but then COVID testing came along and Sonic's one of the biggest providers of COVID testing in the world because they've got operations globally. Um, and so they've had a bonanza. I mean, their profits uh, for this financial year, we're forecasting to be a billion dollars higher than last year. 
And what's happening now is their traditional pathology works almost back to where it was pre-COVID. In some countries, it's actually above. So their base business is back, plus they've got this massive revenue stream of COVID testing, which who knows how long that lasts. Mm. Um, so they're doing really well. But interestingly, um, their share price was really weak, um, was below where it was pre-COVID, which didn't make a lot of sense to us. So that that, that was a stock we were buying um, a few months back. It, it's had a bit of a bounce recently, which is good. Cochlear is another interesting one. Um, volumes were down for implants um, because you know, hospitals, as you can imagine, were pretty busy. And um, and we're definitely seeing a recovery there. Um, in developed markets, surgeries are sort of back to where they were pre-COVID in general, some places a little bit above. Developing markets are still down you know, 20 30% because there's still big issues in, in some countries, unfortunately. Um, but there was really one, one interesting thing um, the CEO said at the last call was um, – a lot of older people who probably had hearing issues but have just put it off, put it off or sort of managed it in COVID because everyone was wearing a mask, <laughs> they, they, they realised that they were lip reading. Mm. And when they couldn't lip read because people had a mask on, they realised, geez, I need to do something about my hearing. So apparently the inquiry levels is quite good at the moment because everyone was wearing a mask, um, which I thought was something interesting. That's fascinating. I think we all learned a lot during COVID. Certainly one that I found absolutely extraordinary was older people I know, uh, well-off, well-travelled, quite dynamic older people, when COVID came along, took it very seriously, right? So Mm. they basically went into self-imposed lockdown. But they rushed out and got all their medical stuff done first. They upgraded their glasses. They didn't – I don't know if they did the hearing. So this would have been February, March, right, back last year. And then – you would imagine sort of as things open up, they've got an opportunity to go back and do all of that stuff again, see all their specialists and whatever. So the hearing one's hilarious. But the other one that I'm absolutely loving is apparently elective surgery has gone through the roof because the doctors are home. They're not doing the international travel. As you were saying, the exporting of travel, they were, you know, they're not in Vail and they're not in, uh, you know, they're not in Fiji and they're not wherever else they might like to be. They're at home and they're like, well, I may as well work. So apparently elective surgeries have gone through the roof because the doctors are available to do them. That's what I heard too, but the channel checks and saying no. Oh, interesting. Which is really interesting. So they saw it. They saw it. um, It's different through the different states. Um, Victoria, because they had the second lockdown, um, they're sort of about six months behind the other states. But if you look at um, New South Wales, um, Queensland, WA, uh, around July, August, they had this big uptick in elective surgeries. The volumes were up about 10%. And and, and the general theory was there's going to be all this backlog of elective surgeries. and the doctors and the hospital operators were all gearing up for a really big year. And it's just hasn't happened. Um, so they had a strong couple of months. Um, and then it's just sort of back to, I mean, it's recovered, by the way. I don't want to it's back to where it was pre-COVID. But yeah. it hasn't been this bolus of backlog, which really shocked, you know, shocked me, to be honest. I was expecting it. Mm. And, and But, you know, when we speak to the people and do our own checks, um, it hasn't been the case. And, and the other thing we thought may happen is the public system might get overwhelmed and then they'd have to outsource um, some procedures to the private sector. But again, that hasn't happened. Um, It may happen in Victoria still, but we haven't seen it yet. Um, So that's sort of something 
we thought was going to happen but hasn't. On the flip side, in the hospitals where we're seeing massive growth is in maternity, which which is quite interesting. Um, and what's happened is, I guess, during COVID, um, people may, I don't know, got bored, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we saw IVF volumes go through the roof. So IVF volumes are up 30%, have been for a while. And as sort of a bit like CSL, there's a nine-month lag. Yeah. And now the babies are coming out the other side. So we're seeing um, maternity volumes up significantly in the hospital. That's so fascinating. Yeah. So this is hilarious. Right? So global births are down mm. quite dramatically. It's like 7% globally, which in a single year at a global level is unbelievable, like in terms of impact on population. But potential baby boom for this year. Because yeah. I tweeted, and I never tweet because I'm terrible at it, uh, but the cleverest thing I think I've ever said, someone was like, is anyone expecting a baby boom? And I was like, it'll be firstborn children only. Because <laughs> anyone who's locked down with kids is not having another one. <laughs> They're definitely not doing that. <laughs> that's, uh, maybe that's why the IVF volumes are up. Yeah, 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 people yeah, yeah, maybe. didn't have an opportunity to experience lockdown with one child or two children uh, planning. Also, plenty of time to practice during uh, during COVID and, uh, and you will know whether it's going to happen or not. Maybe have to go for IVF in that situation. Fascinating. So any other kind of interesting little spikes? Because all of this sort of shifting demand patterns, it's mm. been so interesting to observe. And one of the challenges for observers and for investors, obviously, is to understand how much of this is just a pull forward of demand mm. or shifted demand because you couldn't mm. do something last year, like have a baby if you had a couple of kids at home, uh, and so you're going to do it now. Or whether it's really the structural shift that you were talking about, perhaps with office and so on. So anything that you're seeing that you think is a genuine structural shift rather than just shifting demand patterns? Look, that... That's just such a good question. And that's actually one of the key questions we ask ourselves um, because we look at it from both sides. We're, we're looking at companies that are doing well, but their share price hasn't gone up very much. And we're asking ourselves, is this improvement in the business uh, structural or transitory, temporary because of COVID? Um and, and, and on the flip side, the companies that have had poor results, you know, because of lockdowns or whatever, and their share price is still low. Unfortunately, a lot of them have gone crazy despite the poor results. But there's some companies where the results have been poor because of COVID. But we think, you know, we're trying to decide, you know, is there some structural problem or is the issue just transitory and therefore it's an opportunity? I, look, there's one sector, I'll just talk about something we're looking at right now, which is storage. Mm. Um, self-storage. Mm -hmm. And um, self-storage has had a real boom recently. Um, Nothing like being stuck at home for 12 months and make you realise just how much stuff you've got and how much you need to get out of your house in order to function. Yeah. Mm. It, storage, there's a number of different demand drivers for it and, and disruption of your life. is You can sort of sum it all up in disruption of life. Um, and moving house is, is a big reason. Um, you know, if you're renovating or, um, or moving from a, normally it happens if you're moving from a house to an apartment, if you're downsizing, you mm. get a lot of storage. Um, another one, which is a bit unfortunate is divorce. Um, divorce leads to a big uptick in, um, storage and, and that, that might be one of the reasons, um, storage is doing well, which, you know, 
hopefully it's a temporary phenomenon. <laughs> um, it was data out of China during their, you know, so they obviously locked down way earlier than everybody else uh, in Wuhan and there was data out of there saying they saw a massive spike in divorces after the lockdown. Um, I don't know if there's been any corollary here or anywhere else, but... Um, it w- wouldn't surprise me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but generally, if you look at storage, um, storage has had sort of structural growth for a while, just general urbanisation of, of of Australia, um, and then there's also uh, on on dynamic with online. Um, you know, you can access online small online businesses can access storage um, for inventory um, for when they're going through different sales promotional periods. They can access storage for short periods of time. You know, it, so there's there's some structural di- demand dynamics there. So. We're trying to unpick, you know, how much is temporary, how much is structural. I think the answer is probably there's a little bit of both. Um, but that, that's that's one, you know, looks interesting. Um, sort of on the flip side, um, we're looking at an explosive company called Orica. Well, we, we, we own shares in it. And um, they've had a really terrible time with COVID because of uh, COVID restrictions, uh, which has meant... Uh, there's been less mining activity. So explosives are used predominantly in, in, in mining, so it's really related to mining volumes. And with mining volumes have been down, particularly in developing markets, um, their, their profits are down you know, 20 30%. Um, but the commodity prices, as you can imagine, have gone through the roof um, because the supply has been restricted and demand's still good. Um, to us, the companies, it looks a really good opportunity because the company's share price is towards its lows. Um, but fundamentally, we think structurally the company's fine because when you look at the high commodity prices, every miner in the world would be mining every you know, ounce of ore they could um, because the profits are fantastic. So definitely we think demand will return once the COVID restrictions um, come off. Um, so we sort of think that that's a, a company which is suffered from COVID, but the issues they're facing are temporary um, and, and it's a really good opportunity. And then on the flip side, the other way, I'd talk about consumer discretionary stocks, retail stocks, which have had a fantastic COVID because um, everyone's been locked at home. They've had stimulus. They can't spend money on going on, you know, for overseas travel and they've bought a TV, some furniture, things like that. And, and They've had good profits. Their share prices have gone you know, well above where they were pre-COVID. And to us, we sort of thought there's nothing structural here. That's a that's a transitory benefit, and that will unwind predominantly because there'll be less stimulus going forward. But also, once people can travel, that travel budget that got allocated to buying furniture will get reallocated back to travel. Um, and also, they've got that couch now. Do they need <laughs> Do they need a second one? Um, and we're just starting to see those stocks come off now as the numbers are coming out. They're, cyc- they're starting to cycle um, COVID sales right now. Mm. And, and we've definitely seen a number of those companies start to come off quite a bit. We saw Kogan last week. Yes. Uh, and some of our guys are buying it, but far fewer than you would expect. A lot of people were like, hey, I had my win with that one and I'm going to walk away. I think your point for so many people, life changed last year. You had to buy a lot of random stuff because your life had changed. So hilarious stories about 
you know, queues out the door from office works when everyone suddenly realised they needed a big screen at home in order to be able to work. Uh, and, you know, you couldn't buy a screen in certain parts of Sydney to save your life and toilet paper demand and all sorts of random things. But once you've got that, you don't need another one, right? You only need so many screens. You might upgrade every three years, but it's not going to be next year again. Question without notice, and this is a tricky one, but I'm sure it's something you think about. A lot of us had anticipated, even late last year when vaccines were clearly going to be very effective, that the world would be opening up this year. You know, the fact that we had three, maybe four vaccines that were showing unbelievable levels of mm. efficacy that could be produced en masse, brilliant, let's just get them out and we can start moving again. And now we're in April, nearly May, mm. and we're still getting little outbreaks and India's got shocking, shocking, terrible, horrifying numbers and, you know, some of the vaccines have side effects and, you know, things in Australia doesn't have the vaccines that we need and all this kind of stuff. Have you been looking at that and thinking about how long we need to anticipate COVID affecting our lives? Mm, def definitely. Um, look, look. And it's not just about COVID. Whenever you invest, period, you, you've got to look at different scenarios that could happen um, because <laughs> no one knows the future and, 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 and things, you know, stuff happens, I guess. So whenever you assess any investment, you should assess that investment through the, sort of the risk-reward equation. So if the investment case you have plays out, you know, what, what's the upside? that you think you could achieve. And then also, if things don't go quite to plan, what, what's the downside risks you're facing? And we do that all the time. And, and what you're really looking for is the companies which have limited risk uh, because of where they're priced and good upside if a high probability scenario you think is going to happen. Now, with a lot of companies today... Um, particularly the cyclical companies that are um, leveraged to a reopening trade or leveraged uh, leverage to things going back to normal, they're pricing in, in general, and there's, different, there's some that aren't, but in general, a lot of companies are pricing in, everything gets back to normal pretty quickly. And if things don't, there's a fair amount of risk. And, and, and there's risk because a lot of these companies still have a lot of debt because they had losses during COVID. So if things are delayed for whatever reason, there's another, you know, there's another outbreak in Australia or there's a new variant, um, they're pretty vulnerable. And they're vulnerable as a company because of the leverage, but they're also they're particularly vulnerable from a share price point of view because a lot of good news is factored in. Um, and I'll definitely say today we're in this sort of pro-risk environment. It's a really risk on environment. I think, you know, uh, people are really searching for those big gains. Um, and they're the, they're the stocks they're chasing, these cyclical high risk stocks, I would say. But in general, they're, they're priced to a situation where the risk reward equation is sort of negatively skewed. I'll tell you, you know, pretty limited upside and, and big downside if anything goes wrong. The flip side of that is the lower risk companies um, people were generally not that interested in because 
Um, they're not as exciting. Um, they don't have the perceived upside because, and because everyone really wants, I mean, they've experienced massive gains recently and that's what people, you know, now sort of expecting, I guess. Um, they're not interested in the companies um, yielding, you know, five or 6%, growing at three or 4% per annum, you know, steady eddy companies, pretty boring companies that will do well in most environments. Um, and to us, that's where the opportunity is right now. Um, there's a lot of these companies where, um, these sort of steady eddy companies where they're priced very favorably, which is really weird because rates are zero and you can buy these companies on yields of five or six. Um, and they've got a lot of downside protection because their businesses aren't too impacted um, from COVID um, in general. So that's, funnily enough, that's where we're personally finding the opportunities. And and just I'd say investors mutual in general, um, our approach is definitely a lower risk approach. Um, we're really looking to preserve the capital of our clients. Um, so we definitely favour that that part of the market. But for us today... Um, we, we're thinking that's it's a pretty lucrative time to be a low-risk investor because uh, most people are not interested in that, which is odd with rates at zero and all these potential risks out there, but it is what it is. So you don't want to buy Afterpay at 120 bucks? No, that's that's not, <laughs> on, it's not at the top of my watch list, I must say. Um, but that's a fascinating one, isn't it? I mean, so the number one question we get is what's the next Afterpay, right? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'll just say one thing and it will sound completely wrong because this strategy has been so successful recently um, that investing in popular themes is really dangerous Um, and the reason it's dangerous is everyone's on board and the higher the share price the higher the expectations and therefore the biggest risk of missing missing those expectations and getting a big drop in the share price. So Kogan's a classic, right? I mean, the theme of online retail, um, I mean, online retail's boomed and and they've had a temporary benefit due to COVID, but there's structural um, positive tailwinds for online retail as well. But what's happened in the past few months? Share price is down 60% since October. Why? I mean, the business, you know, sales are really strong. Well, the, the high expectations haven't been met. Um, the share price went you know, crazy because people got, you know, everyone got on board the theme of online retail and, and the expectations got too high and it's missed. It's missed. Um, so that's, there's a lot of danger in investing in these sort of popular themes and buy now, pay later is definitely one of those. And if you look at the, the fundamentals of the industry, um, one, one thing with growth in industries, you just got to be really careful when there's a lot of new competitors entering that industry because that generally means the outlook for margins in the future is going to be lower. And margins, the direction of margins is is normally a pretty good indicator of where share prices go longer term. Pretty hard for share prices to keep going up and up and up if your margins keep falling. And um, yeah, we think the outlook for margins for buy now, pay later have to be... Um, tough when you're getting very big companies enter that space, whether it's PayPal or MasterCard. Um, so, you know, yeah, we're, to say we're cautious is um, putting it lightly. <laughs> it's a bit understated. So I'll close with one, the question everybody's asking, right? So where are you seeing upside? You've said that you're 
and uh, you know this is true of your business just in general that you know you're favoring those companies that have pretty limited downside they're very solid they're just going to keep churning out uh turning out revenue anything specific any specific sectors oh yeah i'll give you one um otherwise i'll get in trouble <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you always tell us like it's a secret. You always tell us like it's a secret, the things that you're going to give away. It's, it's, it's a really boring company. Um, IAG, the general insurer, and um, it's a really interesting one because they've been hit really badly um, by COVID, um, mainly because of business interruption insurance. Um, so they provide... Um, personal insurance for home and motor, but they also do commercial insurance. And uh, they got they provide this type of insurance for, for companies that uh, if they get interrupted by COVID and they, they had significant claims on the back of that. Um, they've made big provisions for those claims and they've had to raise some equity as well um, to cover those provisions. During COVID, they also made significant provisions for their general insurance book um, because they're worried about high unemployment um, impacting a number of their sort of economically sensitive insurance lines, um, whether that's workers' compensation um, or um, director and officers' insurance or general liability. So they made enormous provisions, um, raised a whole heap of equity, uh, and what's happened is everything's a lot better than they thought. Um, so unemployment, as we know, is, is, is very, you know, quite low. Business performance has been far better. Um, and the other thing is home and motor insurance premium rates have been going up. Everyone's and, house value has gone up dramatically. Yes. Yeah, and so, they're all buying new cars. That's right. So unit units have gone up. So volume's gone up and prices have gone up. And the reason why insurance companies typically are great buyers after they've had very big events, so very big claim events for the industry. If, if it's just one insurer, it's probably not such a good thing. But if the whole industry has been hit by a big claims event, what tends to happen is the insurance industry has a change in attitude. They've just lost a heap of money and they go, okay, I'm less interested in trying to win market share you know what, I'm going to be a little bit more focused on profitability. So the industry gets quite rational, starts to lift their premiums rates to cover the losses from last year, and the insurance cycle turns quite positively. Um, there's heaps of evidence of that. I mean, we're seeing um, premium rates grow up across a number of different insurance product lines. Um, volumes are good, you know, whether it's motor, home, it, it's all quite positive, yet the share price is still highly depressed. Um, so we think there's nothing structurally wrong with the industry. Uh, we think the event was, uh, the, the business interruption events, you know, a one-off sort of event. Um, but the company, the share price is, um, you know, it just hasn't moved. Um, so for us, that's a really good risk-reward trade. Um, the bad news has sort of been priced in. Um, they've made these huge provisions, which are probably going to be written back, I suspect because um, the environment's far better than, than what it was when they made the provisions. Um, and the underlying business is performing quite well now. Um, so, yeah, that, that's one which ticks the boxes for us. It's a fabulous example and it's one that, you know, investors understand, but all of that detail behind why things may turn positive I think would be 
valuable for people to perhaps take another look at. Dan, Investors Mutual, you're one of sort of Australia's best known fund managers, been around for ages. You put out lots of great content uh, and lots of thoughtful opinion pieces. How do people keep up to date with what you guys are doing? Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, uh, the best way is probably to go to our website, um, iml.com.au, and you can subscribe um, to all our updates and, and thoughts. Um, we do, yeah, we do write a lot of content. We do um, quite a few interviews and things. So um, that, that's the best way. Or, or you can follow us on LinkedIn as well. Dan Moore from Investors Mutual, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We've received awesome feedback from you guys. We love getting your questions and topic suggestions. Someone's asked for one on Bitcoin, which is not my area of expertise, but we will find someone who can explain it and, uh, and what to think about it. Please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.